Welcome to The Bottleneck. The Bottleneck is a podcast dedicated to the love of factory and automation games. We're here to bring you the latest news and game reviews in the genre. I'm your host, Dave, joined by my fellow co-host, longtime friend, and virtual drinking buddy, Chris. We have decades of gaming experience across a variety of gaming genres and have, in the past couple years, shared a deep appreciation for factory and automation games. We're going to start off today by talking about our first bottleneck. What's in the glass? What are you drinking, Chris? Well, today I'm trying my hand at the Modern Times Laser Rain. Um, It's a fruited goza, a a sour beer. It's it's, uh, pretty powerful for what it is. Kettle sour, there's guava, cucumber, lime in it, and I... I don't mind these. I think they're great summer beers, but this one is just over the the top. So a little powerful for what I'm looking for, but is it know, too sour or too hot? Uh a little too sour for the for the yeah. style and, and just too many flavors. Like it's okay. overwhelming. Like there's too much guava, too much lime, and it's just all over the place. So Yeah, that is a lot of things mentioned in the flavor list. <laughs> Right, right. But, I mean, I'm still going to drink them all. I don't let any beer go to waste, so I'll drink it. Uh, what about you? What are you What are you drinking tonight? I found an old friend at the liquor store this week. I got a Half Acre Big Hugs. This is a, it's an Imperial Coffee Stout from Half Acre, which is up in Chicago. I used to live a couple miles, pretty close to the brewery, and... A couple times I went there on the day that they released their uh, big hugs and there would be a big line for people filling growlers. I uh, filled a couple growlers there in my day and it was really exciting to see it in the store. It's one of my favorite styles. It's, it's one of the best examples of the style, I would say. It's just is that phenomenal. one that's is that like available year round or is that just a, a seasonal you know, I honestly, since I moved away, I haven't seen it at all. So I think it's seasonal and just very hard to find, period, even here in Chicago. Of the time, my next visit uh, around when they're releasing. Yeah. Maybe I'll save you one. <laughs> Sounds good. In this episode's current events and news, the notable patches, Infraspace launched the improvement update where they added some of the decorations, including pixel buildings, to make fun arrangements. We also learned from the screenshots and changes that you can build a road into one of the deep ditches around your city. There were also several minor bug fixes and updates since then. Mega Factory Titan had a major gameplay update, reworking the main missions, increasing challenge as you go through the game, the new Crisis Engine, overhauling the finances, changing up the factions, and then adding options for mini factories and mega factories that have different advantages and disadvantages. There are more power options, more combat options, really just more. The patch notes go on and on. Sounds like a great time to try this one out. I agree. Atrio added a speed running mode and also included a competition with the $300 prize for first place. There were a few updates to combat as well, updates to the B boxes, and a few quality of life changes. 
Learning Factory also added a few new buildings and recipes. Uh, quite extensive patch notes on that one, but mostly just a lot of little tweaks and uh, minor additions in terms of buildings and recipes. And then in other automation and factory game news, uh, since our last episode, Satisfactory and Coffee Stain Studio specifically have continued to show off a number of videos and with uh, update eight teasers, the update or the Unreal Engine five update, they keep showing off the way that's looking. It looks really sweet. I love what they're doing with Nanite. Uh, they also showed a video around the smart power switches, which will allow you to prioritize uh, what switches get power first in your factory. This is to help um, ensure that your that your critical supply lines or assembly lines continue to run while de deprioritizing less important ones. Um, hopefully, this prevents the map wide blackouts and having to run around to reset. Uh, they also are sneak peeked the large power tower that you could place. It allows the the uh, cable line to stretch three times longer than the, what you currently get out of power poles. Um, there's also a variant of that tower that has a platform on it. And what they showed in the video was you could place a tower down, climb up to it, place another tower way far out, and then actually zip line from one tower to the next. When you get there, place the next tower and actually allow you to cover large swaths of the map uh, being elevated and, and pro protected from what's below. So I thought sounds, that was pretty neat. Sounds way better than trying to take a truck or something like that around. Oh, yeah. And you can connect three of those towers together, and each tower has, I believe it was a seven-point power pole integrated into it. So nice. a bunch of, of, of attachment points onto it. So the one thing I'm curious about with that is, can I build catwalks or build like foundations off of that? Um, no, you know, can I can I attach anything else to that to the uh, platform variants of the tower? So that'll be interesting because I'd like to do a blueprint with like my rail system integrated into it. I think that'd be cool. Yeah. My question would be, how late in the game is it? When do you unlock that? I sounded I like it was that pretty it, early. Yeah, it looked like it was phase two, I want to say. Nice. So, yeah, because once you get rail systems, which is late phase two, then you're already getting power delivery, right? So yeah. hopefully they find a balance with that. Well, you have to make it late into, too late into phase two. So hopefully after update, out, update eight comes out, I will get all the way into that. And then they also showed updates to blueprinting. Um, a few of them are the ability to boop and nudge the, the blueprint around after you play. Or it's kind of how it is with conveyor belts, how you can click once and it kind of shows you a preview of it. Well, it'll show you a preview of the blueprint now and you can nudge it around before you finalize the, the construction of it. So that helps people, you know, line it up and then... One of the big issues with blueprinting is if you accidentally placed it wrong, is how do you tear down this whole blueprint? So um, all the items that are in the blueprint in the back end, they said they associate them to one another. So with the deconstruction mode, you can actually deconstruct the entire blueprint's worth of parts at once instead of it going around and possibly de deconstructing 200 items manually. So that sounds really useful. I think that people use these 
blueprints a lot more for like making big structures with repetitive pieces than coffee stain really expected. So I'm glad they're making that adjustment. I think that'll really support that usage much better. And uh, the one YouTuber, he has an entire series around building little micro factories that fit into a four by four so that you, you can use them like modular pieces and just stamp them down. If you need to increase production and um, total X, total X clips is the one that's doing it. Um, but it's really neat how he's doing that. And yeah, if you were to place one of those, you know, one meter off, you got to tear the whole thing down. It's going to take 10 minutes. So that's really nice. And of course, with all those updates, there was one piece of bad news, and they said it looks like update eight is taking a little bit longer. So a few more bugs than they expected. So it's going to be delayed, it looks like. So we're not going to see it um, in the next couple of months. So it'll be pushed okay. out. I'd rather have it be good than rushed. Yep. As always. Hey, everybody. Chris here. While editing the episode, Coffee Stains released update eight to the experimental branch. I wanted to hop on here and let everybody know that that's available right now. So in your Steam client, make sure you select Experimental to get Update 8. Else, you got a few more weeks to wait until Experimental is ready for the masses. All right, back to the regularly scheduled program. We both got a chance to test out Revive and Prosper, which started its alpha. That you could apply for. Um, it's definitely interesting. It's certainly raw as expected for an alpha. I don't think either of us played it very much, but it has some very definitely has some promise. Yeah, I didn't have as much playing time as I wanted with it, but it's on my list here soon. So we'll 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 get into it and provide another update in a future episode. And then Tectonica released a bunch of teaser info into their eventual release into early access onto Steam. Uh, they keep sneak peeking new buildings and whatnot, the latest one of which is the Core Composer. It allows automatic placements of research cores in a rather beautiful fashion. They also updated power floors and conveyor belts to give them a better look and provide more information at a glance. And then most recently, they sneak peek the additional mole modes. Um, it's going to provide you different sizes of excavation and shapes. Um, one of which was, I think it was like 16 by 16 meters, which overheats the, the device on one use. And with that overheating, they introduce coolant that could be a consumable in the game to keep your mole device cool. So. It's a change that's coming. Every time I think I can't get more excited for Tectonica, they release another bit of information that looks awesome. One of the things that was most annoying about the demo was, uh, and the alpha was putting out research cores, and this core composer is really cool. It's like builds a tree of research cores. Looks awesome and is really useful. Hey, Chris again, interrupting the podcast with another quick update. While editing this episode, it was also announced that Tectonica set July 18th as the release date for early access, and also announced it will be available on Xbox Game Pass on Windows and Xbox consoles. 
Then Captain of Industry teased a little bit more information about their first really major update, Update 1. They're reworking some things about around power delivery, uh, including steam turbines, um, how steam density works. They're rescaling all the power output and consumption. Uh, sort of part of the reason for that is so that they can reduce the amount of fuel that your transports use up while keeping sort of the, the, the consumption of your power, uh, including your diesel generators, the same. They're adding some more complexity around nuclear and adding a bigger diesel generator. They have a new vertical pipe, which is exciting. Before, you could only build angled pipes. And then they're improving flagging land for mining. You can include a flat mode and an autofill. Um, just a lot of exciting updates. We're probably going to have to revisit this one in an upcoming episode. Today, we're going to talk about automation in non-factory games and what the difference is between a factory game and a game with automation or factory elements. The impetus for this discussion is from when Dave recently started playing Hydroneer. It's a very interesting game, but it really straddles the line of whether or not it's an automation game. Hydroneer is a game about mining. It starts with the somewhat tedious manual process of digging, getting ore, smelting metal bars from that, and then smithing items from those bars. Eventually, you can start getting miners and harvesters that can largely automate the process using pipes and belts to power them and move items around. And you can build decent sized production lines that let you make those items pretty quickly. It all sounds like pretty classic factory and automation game stuff, right? There are a few issues with that. First and foremost is how, things, how few things you can actually automate in the game. You really only automate getting the ore to bars. Everything else from there is done manually including crafting the items itself or more, and selling the items. Crucially, a lot of the items you need a lot of, like pipes and conveyor belts and all their accessories, like sorters, can only be purchased, not built on your own. So why does it not really feel like a factory and automation game? How exactly are we defining a factory and automation game? We're keeping Hydroneer on the automation matrix on the website because it still, still does have significant automation elements. Seems like a classic one. It's got drills, conveyor belts. You can build stuff. But the logistics piece here just kind of peters out into a fairly tedious exercise in shuffling items around between different places. One of the most exciting moments in a game like Factorio or DSP is when you realize you need to increase your production of something but now you have all the things you need to increase the production of that already being produced. And you can just go do it 10 times faster than you did the first time because everything's being built to make it happen quickly. In Hydroneer, you never have that. When you need a new production line, you need to go to the store, buy a bunch of pipes, place them individually, buy a bunch of conveyors, drop them in on top of the pipes, etc., etc. The hallmark to me of a factory game is when the automation really starts feeding into itself and the factory is able to grow easily. 
Hydraineer is a really fun game. I sank a bunch of hours into it. I enjoy the loop in somewhat limited doses. You know, I could play it for hours sometimes, but eventually it gets old because of various limitations of the game. But I can't say I'd really call it a factory game. Yeah, I think I think you hit it on the head, right? These automation and factory games. You know, it's one of those, it's almost self-replicating, right? Like, you want that field where as you're expanding, it's easier and easier to expand. And you can start growing it quickly. And Hydraineer, you know, at least when I played it, it just seemed like, oh, I'm digging, I'm digging, I'm mixing with water. Okay, well, I can automate the uh, digging part, but I can't really automate anything else. Like, it kind of, you know, and I just didn't have a very, very long portion of automation. You know, it was semi-automated. Some of it could get automated, but I couldn't automate end-to-end. So I'm with you on that. It's, it has some elements, but it didn't quite cross the full threshold of what I would consider a full actory, you know, automation and factory game. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it, I think, comes down to where the difficulty scaling or where the um the where the just the general scaling of the game changes so in in say factorio it scales by you needing more different kinds of uh items to produce everything you need to keep advancing so generally speaking in this case it would be the science packs and needing to like expand your production of the science pack you already have and create new science packs, which is made easier by the things you've done before, but your, uh, your production lines are becoming more complex. Whereas in Hydraineer, you're building the same basic production line over and over again. But the thing that gets more difficult is you need fancier versions of your drills and your harvesters to make your items. And those cost more. So you're building, you know, you're still building the same 10 buildings over and over again. They're just slightly more advanced versions that take slightly more resources. And uh, it, it doesn't really, it doesn't scale kind of exponentially the same way. You know, your, your factory or DSP, you need like 10 or 20 times as many resources to get to the next level. But it's 10 times easier to build those because of what you've already created. Whereas Hydraineer, you need two times as many things. And it's maybe one and a half times easier to get there because of what you've already automated. It's, it just doesn't have the same, the same growth rate as a lot of your factory and automation games do. And when you look at a Factorio or a DSP, as you were mentioning... You know, you have the ability to create your own buildings. And that's what I meant by self-replicating. Your buildings are creating additional buildings and conveyors. And and I get with Hygieneer, you're you're making things to sell it, you know, and get gold or the currency in the game. And then you have to turn around and buy additional conveyors. And, you know, maybe they're, they're going to add that later on to craft it. But as it sits right now, you know, that self-replicating is not there. All that being said, the reason that I really enjoyed Hydraineer and engaged with it so much is because of that limited amount of automation element that it has to it. I would never want to play Hydraineer for hours if all it was was digging 
and putting water in it and brushing it and making your ingots out of those few little scraps of ore that you got. That that wouldn't be a very compelling loop. So what we're seeing there is that, sure, it may not be an automation game proper, but the introduction of automation elements into a game like this can really add a lot and add a lot of enjoyment to a game like this. So where else do we see automation elements like that adding a lot to a game? You know, the, the first one is uh, is kind of those colony managers, the games like Rim, RimWorld, uh, Going Medieval, Oxygen Not Included, where you may not have conveyor belts, but you can do automate the crafting, like your pawns will go out and do the crafting for you, or there's buildings that will automatically make something, but they need inputs. Maybe the inputs are fed manually by the uh, your pawns or your colonists having to drop them off. So what are your yeah, thoughts even, on games like that? Even a game like Infraspace is sort of an example like this, an example of this type where it's like you're not totally hands-on with all the logistics you're not managing every every single little part of it like you are when you're using you know uh, belts and drones to to very specifically move things in certain ways but you are you're automating things so you don't have to you know you don't have to go tell this colonist to go make some food you say okay this colonist when he's not doing anything else um should be making food or his top priority is making food. His second priority is going to build something His third priority, et cetera, et cetera. Those kind of uh, decisions to, to order the priority of what some, what a character is doing or just making it so that the, the game will do things without you directly telling it to do, especially in these colony builders that where you're complete, you're constantly getting a larger colony or you're expanding. Um, just like you're expanding your factory in the factory games. Um, You want to have some element of hands-off in those games. So you need those kind of automation elements to really make it enjoyable. And there's other elements like you still get bottlenecks, right? So you may not be producing enough food or you're not having enough resources coming in to make food, so you have to build more farms. So there's still those elements where you have to constantly do that problem solving and make sure you get that balance of the inputs and outputs in order to maintain the, the health of the colony. Yeah. And it helps, you know, it's sort of got the, the same sort of growth curve in a way, uh, in a properly done colony builder, where as you get more colonists, you can do more things. And as you're moving along further, each colonist can do more things. So you're yeah you you're automating all those different processes and the colonists are doing them faster so you're finding the bottlenecks and you're you know creating new pieces of the production chain at a pretty good rate so these are these are definitely games that are improved by introducing those automation elements i might be dating myself a little bit with this reference but going back to a city builder like caesar 2 Uh, You are building this Roman city and you need to have like plantations and mines and such to get certain types of raw goods. 
that you can then turn into pottery or different types of wine and food that keep your citizens happy. Um, it had some rudimentary production lines, even though it's a extremely old game. Um, or if you want a more modern reference, the game that I've been playing a ton of lately is Against the Storm. You've got a bunch of workers, you assign them into buildings, they have certain recipes that they're trying to build, and they get, you know, they get raw materials from different resources on the map. Um, you have these production chains, and you set things up so that they'll sort of run unattended by assigning different workers different things, very similar to those management games. Um, yeah, it's just being able to automate that, not having to tell your workers, again, where to go at a very granular level really helps this type of game. And then uh, you kind of hinted at the next category and with the Caesar 2 and having to make different things to keep your guys happy. Um, and it's not really like a true production line, but in survival games like Valheim or No Man's Sky, right, there's crafting elements of the game, but there is some minor automation to it as well. So in No Man's Sky, on your freighter, you can set up, or on your base, you could set up, um, they're like uh, hydroponics tables, like little farm tables, and you can grow things on them, right? Come back and harvest them later. You could also set up resource extractors and mine resources and connect them to supply de depots to come back and pick them up later. There's re there's refining elements in it, and um, and with Val and in Valheim, and you have to go out and mine the copper and iron, and come back and forge it. And you hit on something with Hydraneer how you know it gets more expensive or more inputs and. But the automation doesn't go up, and and Valheim really punishes you because each tier of weapon and item requires like ten times more. So I think the smelt like a helmet later on is fifty iron ingots, while a copper helmet or a bronze helmet was you know five or or, or ten ingots. So they're a lot harder to get, and they're further away. And you know what? There is those crafting, those smelting elements. You know, kind of give you a little bit of a taste of the factory or you know crafting items yeah and if you had to just sit there at the forge smelting 50 ingots by hand just sitting there staring at it waiting for it to happen you you'd probably quit that game pretty fast you wouldn't be having any fun but you know if once you can sort of set it going let it let it go once you can build those resource extractors in no man's sky so that you don't have to gather absolutely everything by hand or set up the hydroponics. You know, those, those are places where the game is doing something for you because of something you built. And it really helps make the game smoother because you don't have to just be doing every tedious little task all by yourself. And then uh, another area, another type of game that has very similar aspects to those survival games is uh, one of my personal favorites, farming games, like a Stardew Valley. You can set up like sprinklers and you know, you've got your milking machine to harvest from your animals or uh, one of my favorites on the Switch, Rune Factory. You can capture monsters and your monsters can tend to your farm automatically. Um, 
you know, these are, again, tedious tasks that the game is asking you to do, but then giving you an option for how to do it a little bit easier, make it happen without your explicit attention all the time. And it just improves the game a little bit. It gives you something to work towards to get that set up so that you don't have to do every little tiny thing all by yourself. Yeah, and I personally don't have a lot of experience with those, so I'm going to have to lean on your experience there. And then what about puzzle games, our last category? Yeah, so when you've got puzzle games, um, you know, uh, there are a few different categories of puzzle games. On one hand, you've got something like uh, a mist, I would say, where you're going around solving individual puzzles in the wild. Uh, that one doesn't really do much for me. I, I enjoyed it when I was a kid, but nowadays, if I had to play mist, I would throw my computer through a wall. Um, but the kind, uh, the kind of puzzle game that really gets me these days is something like an Opus Magnum or Infinifactory or The Incredible Machine, which is one I played a lot as a kid as well. Um, uh, you know, the modern ones, a lot of these are Zektronics games. That's a, a particular designer who built some incredible uh, puzzle games with automation elements like Opus Magnum. And what they are is sort of creating a machine that creates a reliable result for you based on what you're provided and trying to figure out how to do that in the shortest time possible or using the fewest resources possible, things like that. Um, So it's using sort of this automation concept, uh, but instead of building the biggest factory possible or steadily expanding, you're trying to be as efficient as possible and create a, a really a really good factory without using too many resources or too much time. And that can be a really fun puzzle, especially when you're coming from something like Factorio where you're trying to you know optimize recipes and balance all your inputs and outputs so that everything runs smoothly. Yeah, I, you know, I'd love to find a copy of that nowadays, honestly. I feel like I would love playing it again, but I don't have any idea where to find it. Do you have any other games you can think of that have useful automation elements, ways that they're improving a game? Yeah, so there was a couple of them I was thinking of. I think it's like Fallout 4 or Fallout 76. There's some automation elements in there. At least uh, the crafting and factory starts to starts to come alive on the more recent versions of those games yeah so that's kind of a rpg slash survival type of game right and then uh yeah i'm just thinking of any type of game from here that might have i don't can't think of too many other puzzles i think you hit them hit on the puzzle games pretty well i guess another place where this comes into play uh in a slightly more predatory way is your your mobile games, your idle games, and your um, there are a bunch of, I don't know, clones of games that sort of involve making buildings and producing things from them and building armies and things like that. Um, you find on your App Store or Google Play Store, they're all just like carbon copies. Yeah, I was playing what the deep, deep mining ink or whatever it's called. Yeah, played that for a while. That has a lot of automation factory elements to it. I play Mel Melvor Idol that has obviously automation with the township expansion they did to it recently. What's the other one that we were playing for a while there? Idolon. 
MMO. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely had some fit, some especially yeah with all the expansions. There's additional, but yeah, the a lot of idle games tend to. I mean, they're kind of based around the idea of automation altogether. Like, right? They might start with a clicker, but the idea is you don't want to be clicking all day long. So, yeah, are those you know, it's one of those. Is that an automation and factory game in the sense that we talk about it or the games that we we like to play? You know, I would say no. You know, I would categorize those as clickers or idle games first with automation or factory elements. But I would never, you know, it's definitely not a Factorio or a DSP or something. Now that we've talked about what makes a factory an automation game, let's now talk about automating our beer. So what is in your glass now, Chris? Um, drinking an Arizona Wilderness Brewing Refuge IPA. This is one of their flagship IPAs, classic West Coaster. Um, cool part about this beer is... It's made with 100% malts grown in Arizona. They're low water use crops, and it's pretty nice. You know, it's a brewery that likes to use ingredients grown within the, the estate to make their beer. And they're actually one, I think, when the first year of their existence, they made it into like the top three new beer breweries in the nation. So it's one of, you know, they make excellent beer and uh, like the way they're going with their process. So very cool. What about you, Wood? I am drinking a Pollyanna Brewing Company Kiwi Allure Berliner Weiss. Ooh, nice. So I had been planning to have this as my second beer. It is unfortunately a lot like your first beer tonight. Um, It's tasty, but it is incredibly sour. Oh. Um, It's very (laughs) intense. And for some reason, they decided they had to sell it in pint cans instead of 12 ounces. Uh, I don't think any single human being is capable of finishing 16 ounces of this beer in one sitting. So <laughs> the, Those modern times laser rains are the same way. It's yeah. a 16 ounce can oh, as geez. well. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what possesses these people to make this into a pint? Uh, I would love, I would have a great time drinking six ounces of this beer. But 16, that's 10 too many. And it's crazy because a Berliner is usually on the mild side of most sours, right? <laughs> yeah, the, I got it. I was like, oh, this should be pretty chill, like a, a nice, refreshing summer beer. No, it just like punches you in the face with sour. Nice. <laughs> so so while you're uh, choking that down, what uh, what other games have you been playing recently? Most of my gaming time lately has been taken up by playing Against the Storm. I had played the demo of this game at maybe it was Steam Next Fest. I'm not sure exactly when it was. And it didn't really click with me. And then I heard someone talk about it on a podcast and it decided it sounded more up my alley than I remembered. So I bought it on sale. And since then, I've sunk about 22 hours into it. Uh, it is a roguelike city builder where you're sort of doing these. Uh, large bite-sized runs of trying to build like settlements out, out and about and earning the queen's favor, bringing back resources. So you can have these like permanent improvements to your capabilities and then 
go back and build another settlement with your improvements and try to earn more stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's, it's really, really interesting. It's got, you know, you can't build all your buildings every run. You get choices of blueprints as you progress, as you earn the queen's favor. And that, uh, that part of the game where you're trying to eke by on a very limited number of buildings, you have to make hard choices about exactly what you want at different times. I find to be a, a really compelling loop of play. Uh, it's just been really fun. And I, yeah, I'm, I've been, pl- I haven't lost a game yet. I've been slowly upping the difficulty. I should probably be ramping it up a little faster. So I lose a run at some point, but yeah, it's uh if you enjoy city builders and enjoy roguelikes separately, I would say definitely try this one out. Yeah, I'm going to have to, I just wish listed it. Actually, I think I already had it wish listed, but definitely, uh, I think you would enjoy it. And it's got some automation elements. Like I talked about, how about you? I think you've been mostly on the satisfactory kick lately. Yeah. Mostly satisfactory. Um, I was playing Vampire Survivor and completed all the achievements, unlocked all the characters. Basically, everything is done with the game, and the end game is gold farming pretty much. And I'll be honest, after a couple rounds of gold farming, I mean, you could play the endless game and play for eight hours, have a billion gold that comes in. You can do the permanent upgrades, the incremental upgrades to all your characters. And then at that point, it's just, I mean, there's nothing else to do. It kind of, you know, I'm not going to gold farm for all eternity. So drop that. Yeah, but you paid under five bucks for this game. So the fact that you've. Uh, oh, totally. Yeah. Gotten as much enjoyment out of it as you have is pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. And I told my my brother and his wife about it. And then next thing you know, his wife is taking ownership of his Steam Deck. So he doesn't get to play anymore. And, you know. <laughs> they both love the game this game is creating marital strife <laughs> yeah possibly i mean <laughs> and then yeah delving back into satisfactory i think i started a new map on our last episode and this latest episode you know i'm in the final phase of the space elevator i've kind of been taking my time with the space elevator stuff and build, building out rebuilding this massive mega base that I'm bringing in everything from outside and then making everything at one base and I'm enjoying it, but I might tear it down and do micro factories for each item instead. I think that'll be a better way to go long term. But hey, that's the beauty of satisfactory is, you know, you can always tear it down or rebuild it. Just keep going. I I actually fired up satisfactory a bit. And I had a good time with it, but I decided that I wanted to wait until update eight came out before I really dove back into it. But I do think I had enough of a good time with it again, where I really do plan to dive back in seriously once update eight comes out. And I'm losing my my bet that we said at the beginning of the year or look forward. I said update seven was going to be last before 1.0 came out and uh, I'm going to yep. be wrong. So yeah. That's okay. It happens. I can handle it. <laughs> so can I. But outside of that, that's about uh um re re revive and prosper. Fired it up, didn't I got through the tutorial and got to distract with something else. So I'll be firing that up probably here soon and I played that for about a half hour. 
And then I think we were talking on the Discord about spinning up a maybe a Factorio community game. Yes. To schedule a time to do that. So that would be great to to set up. Hopefully we'll find a time for it. Yep. And if you guys are interested, you know, head over to the Discord and jump on there. And when we go to launch that game, we can all get together. But hopefully we'll see you over there. Thank you for joining us tonight as we discussed what we feel constitutes a automation and factory game. If you have any suggestions for us, please let us know. Feel free to join us on our Discord server where we talk about not just automation and factory games, but also all the other games we like to play. Ask questions about game mechanics, discuss upcoming releases, or you can head over to our website, bottlenetgaming.com, check out our games database or anything else that we've managed to put up there. We'll see you next time, and as always...